This podcast was brought to you by Channel Factory, who ensure that all your advertising appears in the most brand safe and brand suitable environments across all your YouTube campaigns. Welcome to another episode of the Blooming North podcast, where each month we delve into topics designed to inspire you, empower you and guide you towards a more fulfilling life, both personally and professionally. Today's episode is all about managing your finances. It always blows my mind how little we're taught about finances throughout our education system. And as a result, how many of us are financially illiterate? It's a topic that can seem daunting, overwhelming, confusing, but it's one that impacts all of our day-to-day lives particularly at the time of recording this when we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis. I'm excited by this episode because I'm joined by financial expert Anton Kirkpatrick, who will be sharing some really practical and useful tips on managing your finances so you'll be better informed and more in control of your money. Hi, Anton. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me. So let's start with a bit of background on you because you were in the media industry for, for quite a number of years and then you decided to do something completely different and switch over into the world of finance. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a bit about that. Well, see, I had my, uh, my grounding in media, working in, um, in the AV world. And then I've always had quite an interest in kind of managing money and, and finance. So I thought, you know, well, I've got a qu- quite a good grounding in this. I'll go and look at becoming a financial advisor. What I didn't expect was how little I did actually know. Kind of back to your point at the beginning that, you know, this is something that is incredibly important, but most of us know nothing about. So it was that light bulb moment that I need to change something obviously for myself. And then with this knowledge now, I can help others to improve their financial literacy and also their like financial resilience and autonomy as well. So it's all something that builds together for an overall picture of just being more confident in your finances. And then that kind of spills over into different parts of your life as well. So once you've got one, that the financial side pretty much sorted out, that's when you can start enjoying other bits, knowing that there's something's already working on its own so you can figure out how to enjoy your life. Yeah, which we all want to do. So as I mentioned at the beginning, obviously we are in the midst of a cost of living crisis at the moment and there's a lot going on with the economy and there's a lot of, sort of news about you know how bad inflation is and interest rates and all those kind of things. Can you give us a bit of a top line overview of some of the key factors that people should be aware of at the moment, just in general sort of financially in the marketplace and how these are affecting people day to day? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the last few years have been one in a hundred kind of years, like all the stuff that's been going on in them, like financially wise. So, you know, it's a great time to move careers. So for example, 2022 is kind of when everything really did kick off. That's when, you know, inflation started rising. That was mainly due to the invasion in Ukraine. That has a massive impact on uh, the inflationary globally, inflation globally. And that goes on to fuel, that goes on to food. So essentially everything that you need to live and in, and have a life that got impacted by cutting off fuel supplies, increasing uh, food prices as well. Then that came into October last year where we had double-digit inflation. You also have COVID, remember that? that we try and forget about yeah, that. <laughs> that, was, that, still, that was still lingering, um, particularly in China. So with their zero tolerance on COVID, that had a big impact of like one of the, one of the largest markets in the world just not functioning. Then we think, all right, 2022, that was done. Let's move on. 2023, fresh start. But, you know, cost of living is still high. You're still having high inflation. When it was double digit, it was 11%. But 
food inflation that was around about 18 or 19 percent and that is one of the that makes it feel worse in your own pocket because it's food and if you want to live you have to eat that's why it was more of a crisis because other things you can you can deal with like prices of clothes going up you can deal with it prices of you know something else that's negotiable that can go up and it doesn't really have a big impact on your life but food you have to eat fuel you know if you want to do anything if you want to go to work you need to do that so you're you're looking at all these different things and that's why it was kind of called a crisis rather than it just being things being more expensive it was actually having a really big impact on where it was more expensive because it's the stuff that you need to have to live these are necessities yeah to go about our day-to-day lives yeah and then we have uh, again 2023 we still have the like the war in ukraine and then you know a few weeks ago there was another war and whilst that has in its initial part it didn't really have that much of an impact because it was kind of isolated into one country there has been a little bit of growing outside of the region and a potential destabilization of the region which has in turn had a bit of an impact on on oil prices so again that's why you're seeing price at the pump go up a little bit more again yeah so it is like the perfect storm of everything all at once I'd say 2022 definitely was. 2023, it's kind of on its way to balance itself. Well, hopefully balance itself out because inflation figures are coming down. So it's at 6.7% now. See, interest rates are going up. And that's generally the only thing that the Bank of England has to control in inflation, sorry, is to raise interest rates. It's a bit of a blunt instrument, which has a lot of moving parts. But what it is at 5.25, a lot of people are saying that's pretty much the limit. It's where it's going to be. And it's going to have like the impact of it. It's still going to be felt because I think around 100,000 people a month roll off their fixed rate mortgages. And now they're coming into a higher interest rate environment than, say, if they fixed in, say, 2021 or 2020, which would have been when we had a very, very low interest rate environment. Now they're going up to somewhere where you're four point, like 5.25. And so that's going to have, a, again, a big impact on um, people's outgoings. Yeah, we've just renewed our mortgage and yes, definitely feeling that. (laughs) But yeah, on interest rates, just to sort of go back to basics a little bit, obviously if you've got savings, a higher interest rate is a good thing. Whereas obviously if you're trying to fix into a mortgage or anything like that and the higher rate is going to impact you. Can you just, for those sort of listening who really are sort of back to basics in terms of finances, can you just explain a little bit about what interest rates are and really what the key things are to look out for? Well, when you mentioned there about your savings rate, that is one of the things that's been really lacking in, say, well, in the last 15 years, essentially. So since the financial crash in 2008, 2009, with inflation, that's the, basically the Bank of England's way of either stopping inflation or stimulating the economy. So if it's low interest rates, essentially, you stimulate the economy because borrowing becomes cheaper. So that's when you have a lot of on both a personal and on a business level as well. So businesses could borrow more money. And it's essentially free money. If you're looking at a rate of, say, like 0.2%, you can obviously you can borrow a lot more. That has that impact of stimulating the economy. And then that has been this low interest rate environment has been going on for the last 15 years. But now it's obviously had a massive, massive change. So with savings, that savings have been you know, criminally low, their rates for the last, like essentially the whole last 15 years. Um, but now they are coming to a place where they're a little bit more acceptable i think could be the right word just because interest rates have gone up but equally they are going to go down as well so at the moment the best thing one of the good things to do is to look at savings account across the board 
and make sure that you find the one that's got the highest savings rate available. Um, but then also, depending on how you want to use that account, because some of them will have a high savings rate, but then if you withdraw early, you might get penalized as well. So there's something called the early access or easy access accounts. And those are the ones where you can withdraw money as you want. Without being without, penalized. Without penalty. Yeah. Other ones will be, say, like you'd normally have like a, a year or a two year where you have to be fixed and keep your money within the account in order to benefit from the interest rate. And then with the, the mortgage side of it, so in a way it kind of gives with one hand and takes with the other. Your mortgage rate is going to be X amount, most likely going to be higher than your savings rate. But we'll probably go on to it in a little bit. There's a savings, there's only like a certain amount that, I, that I'd say that you need to hold in savings without it having a massive, basically being eroded by inflation. Yeah, and let's go on to that because I think that's an interesting point just around sort of how do we, to what level should we be saving? Because obviously we want our money to work for us and if it's just sat in an account where it's stagnant and it's not actually making money, then it's no good to us. So what what would your tips be around making money make money? Yeah, so just on on inflation, not wanting to hammer it home, (laughs) but it is something that has a real impact on your personal finances. It's not just things getting more expensive it's also the value of your money becoming worth less so if for example you had ten thousand pounds in 2002 20 years time using real inflation rates from across those basically 21 years that ten thousand pounds is now worth five thousand nine hundred pounds in real terms the number hasn't changed it's still ten thousand but actually what it's can buy is worth less so at £10,000, you'd be annoyed, but it's nothing that you can kind of not recover from. But then if you scale up, if you go then to 10000 becomes £100,000. Let's say like £10,000 was worth 5900 £100,000 is then worth like 59000 So you've lost forty one grand. Scale that up again to 200000 you've lost £82,000. And that's something that you, you have to be aware of. It's it has a real like a serious impact on your money that if you're not keeping pace with inflation, you're losing the value of your money. So hopefully no one does this, but keeping your cash, say like in cash under your bed, a terrible way to do things because it's just sat there and not doing anything. Putting it some into a savings account that can grow, that again, that's partly on the way to doing something beneficial with your money. And then you have a look about how can you make your money grow more effectively. And that's when kind of conversations about investing, that's when that comes more into fore. But again, it's it's looking at the level of risk that you're willing to take because probably speak a little bit more about risk as well. But even cash in the bank holds a risk. Not probably not a, like a default risk, which is you losing your money because it's gone, but it has that inflation risk, which is essentially your your money is going to be losing its value. So even in, in a year when it's 10% inflation, you're losing 10% of the value of your money. So even if you have, say, a 5% savings rate at the moment on your cash and inflation is at 6.7%, you're still locking in oh, just over 1.5% loss. That makes sense. So in terms of a sort of a ratio, if you were to put like a rough proportion on how much you should put into savings, how much you should put into investment so i assume by investments you mean like stocks shares yes. property whatever that might be completely up to the the person i mean it's, it's one of the the great things about personal finance is that 
it's different for everybody people have different goals people have different ideas about what they want their their life to be but in terms of like how you're saving it's just of the very very rough ballpark um is that you want to have a savings pot yeah um but depending on on like your lifestyle you probably don't want to be holding more than ten thousand pounds in it just yeah. because of the impact of inflation then after that that's when once you've got that pot saved up that's when you can start looking at doing something like an investment like if you have a pension that is also an investment so most people will be investors without knowing it but that again that's another way that helps you grow your money um, in a way that's the majority of the time be ahead of inflation let's talk about pensions because i think this is a whole a whole <laughs> it's, area it's a big one it's a big one and i think a lot of people get confused by pensions and how much they should be contributing and what what's the sort of longer term benefit of a pension so can you just give us a little bit of your view and your take on the best way to go about setting up a pension how much you should be contributing if it's a company pension what should that look like yeah. if you're in a company then the majority they will have to have a company scheme basically it's something called auto enrollment so you have to be enrolled on a pension that is the first way of building it up so at the moment you have to put in five percent and then your company or your employer will add three percent on top of that and also to think to remember that this is tax-free cash so this is come before tax so you you getting more money that's going into your pension so always always be part of your company scheme because you get the the tax efficiency of a pension but then you also get the contribution as well there are company schemes as well that do matching so if your company does offer matching always if you can match to the max so if a company is offering 10% matching put in 10% because that 10% extra is something that you're not paying for and when you're thinking about investment growth the more money that you put in at the start the better it has in the long term essentially due to something called compound interest which is where your money essentially makes money on itself so if you imagine a snowball and you roll a snowball down a hill that's going to be compound interest that it grows and grows so essentially you've made your little snowball at the top of the hill you've made it rolled it around and then so that's your investment then you push it down the hill and then it grows and grows and that's compound interest so essentially you don't have to do any work and it'll take care of itself so the message there is start young on your pensions you know if you're a junior person in the industry and you're with a company that will offer you a, a match pension scheme put the maximum in and oh, benefit yeah. from it from a young age yeah i mean certainly always join your pension I'm, I'm always aware that there has to be a balance between the life that you're living now and then the, the future as well so yeah there's no point drawing away from your life that you're living now so like living like a pauper just so you can have like an amazing pension when you're 67 because newsflash <laughs> people die yeah yeah that's <laughs> and, it and so you don't want to be you know, for a future that may not happen obviously it's one of the things that with how society's been growing and medicine's been developing that people born now can on average expect to live till their night well especially women can expect to live until they're 90 so there is always having that eye on the future but you, you still do have to enjoy your life now. So always contribute. Um, if you can match, do it. But uh, equally, you know, there has to be a balance. And are there any sort of red flags that people should be aware of when it comes to pensions or anything 
that you could get caught out by? Um, not really. I think the financial system in the UK is quite heavily regulated, so there wouldn't be any, any like red flags, so to speak, that that would kind of impact someone. the The main thing that you just have to remember is that the money that you put away is locked away until, well, for us, it will be until we're fifty seven. Oh, is it? I yeah. thought it was like into your sixties. Essentially, there are three pensions that you can have. So you have your state pension, and that is at the moment you can get it at sixty seven. It's going to be forecast to go up to 68 i think in 2044 the likelihood it's probably going to get to 70 as well and that's all down to your national insurance contribution so the the little thing that comes out of your pay slip which is ni that will be going towards your state pension which at the moment is just around about 10 and a half grand a year then you have your workplace pension so that's where you're what you're doing again it's you're putting the money in your employer's contributing you're contributing and that has another way of, of building up your income. And then you have your private pension as well, which is be one that you've set up personally. And that again, that gives you a bit more flexibility into how much you're, you're putting, how much you're putting away. And it's 57 to release that. And it's 57, well, depending on, on what age you are, <laughs> what age you are now. Yeah. So if you're, say like if you're in your 50s now, you could probably get it when you're 55, but they are increasing the age to 57. Okay. So, but yeah, 57 for that. And then you'd have to wait another 10 years for your state pension to kick in. I think it's really good to break it down like that because I think it can seem like a really scary topic and the idea of locking your money away and not being able to access it for so many years. But actually, it's a good way to set up for the future as well. It is. And I think having it locked away is probably more beneficial than the fact that you know that it's kind of gone. Yeah. And that, you know, you can't touch it so that you're like, right, this is going away and I can't touch it. So just forget about it. This has happened. This is gone. So it's never even hit your bank account, essentially. You don't see so it. You, you, don't, yeah. you don't miss it. Yeah, which is good. You touched on goal setting when you were speaking with your clients and um, it was something you mentioned before around sort of setting financial goals. What would your advice be when it comes to having goals in place for your finances? I assume this is a conversation you have with all the clients that you deal with. The goal setting part is, is incredibly important because it's just something that, having something in mind helps you work towards it and also having something in mind but then also to be able to visualize it as well that also makes it a more attainable goal but then it's not you just don't you know you don't have one goal you'll have many goals and they'll be like short term which could be in the, within the next five years you'll have medium term which is then five to 15 years time and then long term which is like 15 years plus so that's probably looking into you know, when you're kind of around the 50 you're looking into retirement and you say, what do you want your retirement to look like? Like how, what are the things you want to enjoy doing? How do you want to be spending your time? Similarly, your short-term goals are going to be, right, I want to buy a house in the next five years. I want to do this in the next five years. So there are always going to be some things that you have in mind that you can work towards. And it's always going to be something that is, once you visualize it and try and make it more into a reality, it will be more attainable. So but that's not to say that when you do set your long-term goals, that they don't have to be, right, I only want to go out once a week for dinner or something like that. You can have, like, the big ideas about, right, I want to go on a the Orient Express, for example, or I want to go on a, a cruise, like, once every other year or something. And then you can find out how much that's going to cost you, and then you can then make sure that you're kind of building towards that. So. There are things that you can definitely work towards. Obviously, short-term goals are easier to work towards because there's more of a definite point on them. Um, but then long-term goals, that's the 
the bigger things that you start, the easier it is going to be to, to attain those. And just going kind of back onto the retirement and pension side of it, sorry about going on about them a little bit much, but they are very important, is that two thirds of people retiring now probably won't have enough money in their retirement to do the things they want to do. And that's something that we always have to be mindful of, that even though you do have a pension and say like you're in a workplace, it's, it's kind of ticking along. It's not going to fund the life yeah. you want. Unless you're taking an active role, thinking how much I'm putting in, it will just kind of bobble along and, and then you'll come to 65 or something and you'll be like, right, I've been working X amount of years. I should have this pension which should afford me this lifestyle. And then you come to the point where you're then you're having a very a difficult conversation because the things that you thought you could do, you weren't able to do, even though you thought you were doing the right thing, which you were, but you just have to have that extra step and look a little bit further into what you're doing. So step one is to know what those goals are. So know what your short-term, mid-term, long-term goals are. Have those in place. And then I guess it comes down to then budgeting your day-to-day life. So I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on tips on budgeting effectively because budgeting particularly in a cost of living crisis is a bit challenging sometimes you know when the cost of fuel's going up the cost of food's going up those necessities that you spoke about any tips for how we can budget effectively yeah so again with looking at the savings or the money to put your side is that that's one of those things like you've got a goal that you set and now you can budget and then look to what you can actually put away and then the thing is to spend what's left after saving not save what's left after spending because if you do it that way around you'll probably come to the end of the month and you'll be like oh it doesn't matter i missed this month but you know next month will be different and then next month happens and you're like oh well yeah same things happen i'll just do it the next month and it kind of rolls over and over and over yeah. and nothing really happens whereas if you kind of take it at the start and you look to portion a part of your of your income to go into a savings account or then go into some kind of investment that that makes it taken away at the start so that you don't obviously you don't miss it always look at your budget as well as a, an annual thing rather than like a monthly thing when it's an annual thing you can take into account seasonal expenses so like there'll be like birthdays and christmas and you know anything else and also build in a little bit of a margin as well because there will be things along the way like Hindus, baby showers, stuff like that that will yeah. come up. They just, they'll weddings, like they're very expensive. They are very expensive. <laughs> Especially when they're abroad, like all my yeah. friends seem to be doing at the moment. <laughs> yeah, so those are the things that there's always going to be a, a little bit of flex in them, but that's something that you can build into your own budget. And obviously then you have like your, your day-to-day stuff as well that make sure you have enough in there just to, to be able to live. And so don't go mental about not eating avocados or anything like that because... <laughs> That's, you know, you still, like I said at the start, you still have to be able to like enjoy life. So part of enjoying life might be like going out for brunch with your friends. And that's an important part of your life. But if that is an important part of life, budget for that. So it doesn't have to be like every weekend you're doing it. Maybe just do it every other week. And then that's the way that you can still enjoy it and still, but still take slightly more like a financial angle to, to budgeting. And do you use spreadsheets? Are you very formulaic with with your budgeting? Um, I can imagine you probably are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is important to to write them down. Yeah. Um, just because it, it, if you write things down, this is like a, a general tip as well. It's like it makes it more real. Um, so if it's down and you can see it, then you're more likely to to be able to do. And and also you can, it really helps with yourself in terms of 
seeing what your expenditure is. So you always look at income and expenditure, how they marry up. Hopefully your income is always going to be larger than your expenditure. And the other key point of that is also to be honest with yourself. Don't just go, I don't spend that much on this. I'll just kind of put, say, like £100 against it, whereas you actually spend like £300 on this and stuff like that that will have a, a bit more of an effect that if you're not if you're not being honest about your spending then your budgets never really will work i think about as well being honest about your income because people will rely on bonuses they think they might get or you know things that don't end up happening and then you're like oh i actually don't have the money that i thought i was going to get coming in yeah, the, the bonus thing is interesting because people do view them as uh, like a guarantee on their salary yeah. so if someone say like we'll be like all right i'm gonna earn 60 grand 20 of that is a bonus and that's what I'm going to get. But then when it's kind of like the, the season comes around, then you're only getting seven. That's a massive loss. If you've budgeted your life on a bonus, then it's it's going to put you in a bit of a tight spot. It's you never know. guaranteed. No, just and I always think if you look at it as a, bo- a bonus, as a bonus and not as salary, then it makes things a little bit easier. Because then say if you can back plan. So once you do have like the bonus in the bank, then that's when you look at, your salary and then last year's bonus and then work from that so that you're not planning on something that hasn't happened. Exactly. And I think you just have to be honest with yourself in those situations. Obviously, this is Bloom North. So we are primarily a women's network. Is there anything that you're noticing in your line of work with regards to gender? So anything specifically that women should be aware of in the world of finance or anything that they're being sort of directly impacted by? There are definitely specific things that that impact women so the maternity side of it yeah is is big just because the majority of the families it will be the mother that takes the, the time out of work to look after the child so there is going to be that impact so whilst it's taken away from your salary depending on how long you take out and also if you take extra time out but that's going to impact your your income what i'd always say is to make sure that you do keep your national insurance record up so that has to be 35 years of national insurance to get your state pension yeah but then equally it's it's the the time out if you're not say like contributing to your pension is that you're going to have a little bit of a gap there but hopefully if you if you've done stuff at the start that can help build up your finances um and then when you obviously when you return to work you can then restart it again so you'll continue to build up but it's just to, to make sure that that you keep on doing something about it and not just just leave it to chance because there are times where you know, some people have been speaking like clients have been speaking to they initially don't think that investing is for them or they think that it's it's you know high risk or that they don't like it's not for them they just prefer saving so i think it's a it's a slight myth that that women are risk averse um they just like taking calculated risks so they'll like to know more about what it is yeah um rather than just like going in so once once they understand what's happening and what it can do then they're more likely to kind of go in with it and be more comfortable with the kind of like the investing sphere and generally and um, they actually outperform men in the long term because what they're doing is more calculated yeah more informed and educated yeah and it and it is what it's one of those things that i think we obviously we touched at the start is the financial literacy probably one of the bigger barriers that women face is a lack of confidence and it's the, the confidence to say like right this is this is what i'm doing or this is the right thing that i'm going to be doing it's, it's kind of like one of those those times where you th- where either someone has said 
I'm not very good with money. And I was like, what does that mean? You're not very good with money? Because a lot of the time it's the woman in the household that, that controls the majority of the budget, whether that's like the food shopping, the stuff for the kids, whatever. Yeah. So they are good with money, but they don't think they're good with money. And that has an impact on kind of like the self-esteem so that they don't feel like they have financial autonomy. And once grain that financial autonomy, that's in you know, improves your self-esteem and your confidence so that you'll you'll feel essentially better about yourself because you know that this is now in place, that you're taking control of your money. You're not just letting something happen in the background. You actually know what's happening in the background because you've taken an active role in sorting that out. And then, yeah, like I said, that that will help improve the confidence and then that in, in essence will you know, help you out in the long term as well to to live the life that you want to because the longevity thing as well it, you know it's something that is important that you should celebrate long life but you want to have a long life that you can live and you don't want to be kind of scraping towards the end you want to if you're living in the here and now <laughs> exactly. absolutely on the point there about educating yourself and being in control and being informed yeah as a sort of takeaway for the end of this podcast, what are the key resources that you would guide people to in terms of just taking that first step into taking control of your finances? Any good books, podcasts, resources, yeah. obviously links to your website yeah. or your services? Yeah, I mean, thanks, but yeah, shameless plug. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, if you want to kind of like to do it on your own and then say the pension side of things is that there'll be a lot of information on the provider's website so if you're say like with Aviva or Scottish Widows there will be an area where they'll have information on, on pensions and probably a little bit on investing as well that you can read up about uh, the, there's pension wise as well which is it's the the government association for looking at for pensions and then for kind of everything else it depends on how deep you want to go I mean if you put on um, Bloomberg Radio, for example, you'll learn a lot about financial markets and what's going on and things that are happening around the world. But, you know, it might get kind of like a bit intense. The resources are all out there. Again, say coming to speak to someone like myself or ideally myself, <laughs> <laughs> um, that can, you know, it helps because you, you're having a conversation with someone. And I think speaking about things really helps you into thinking that, oh, actually, I'm, I'm I am doing the right thing or I could be doing something like this because the, the financial education thing, it is very important, but people think that they should know everything and, you know, they're going to be embarrassed about, you know, asking like stupid questions. But within this sphere, there aren't stupid questions because you don't know what you don't know. You're having someone to be able to speak to and even just like bounce ideas off. That's going to be you know, a great way to, to increase your knowledge and also improve your, your general financial resilience i think as well just having that sounding board and having that safe space to have that conversation as oh, well yeah. so how do people reach out to you anton if they want to hear more about your services um, so i across all the the medias all the social channels <laughs> all the social well not all of them um, but <laughs> but obviously get hold of me of my email so anton.kirkpatrick at sjpp.co.uk also get hold of me on, on my phone again it can be phone call like a message depending on on however people want to contact and also LinkedIn, I'm on there a lot. Um, so just drop me a message on there as well and I'll get back to you. Perfect. Well, we'll pop all of this in the show notes as well. But thank you so much for your time and well, I've certainly learned you. a lot. So hopefully our listeners have as well. Brilliant. Thanks, Anton. Thank you, Rachel.
Thanks very much for joining us for another episode of The Blooming North. We'd love to hear from you. So if you've not already, please go to Bloom North, become a connection. We hope you found this podcast interesting. Please do share it with any of your colleagues and friends. Also, get in touch if you've got any thoughts on topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Until next time, we'll see you soon.